welcome back to Madness in the Method, the podcast where we talk about Nicolas Cage and how he has uh, transformed from a mere actor to some sort of otherworldly being that he is kind of becoming nowadays. That was a weird one. I I, I just I freestyled that one. Um, but this is the podcast where we talk about Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage movies. And uh, my name is Tobias. And with me, as always, is my friend and trusted co-host, Christopher. Hello, everyone. Hello. And I just want to actually, uh, before we, we get this over with in the beginning, um, if you like this podcast, thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you want to support it even more than just listening and following us on whatever platform you're listening to this on, um, we have a Patreon page. Uh, it's patreon.com slash don't make a scene. There is a... A, uh, a link down below where you can get uh, early access to the episodes you also get exclusive episodes of my other podcast SpoilerCast where we talk about various new movies um, but you also get monthly commentary tracks and you get a say in what we talk about on the other podcast there's a bunch of stuff for just three bucks a month so if you want to support us uh, please check that out other than that thanks so much for listening and let's get on with the show because today we're talking about uh a little bit of a special movie. We're talking about the Charlie Kaufman written adaptation. Yeah, written uh, by Spike Jones. Yes, yes, but but this is this is definitely a Charlie Kaufman movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so you hadn't seen this before, right? I'd not seen it before. Oh. Uh, I am. I have like a love hate, not love hate, but love don't really care relationship with Charlie Kaufman. Because the movies I have seen, I have for the most part liked. Um, I, I, str- I, I struggled with uh, his last movie. I was like, what is this actually about? But I figured it out eventually. I think we talked about that. Or maybe that was my other podcast. Either way. Um, but I also think that he can sometimes be a little too um, like quirky, up his own ass, pretentious. Mm-hmm. So um, I was I was interested in watching this since this was super meta. I mean, he was writing about himself writing a script. So, uh, yeah. I was interested, but I wasn't sure I was going to love it. You had seen it, right? Yeah. So, when I was in film school, uh, this is a very film school movie. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> a, a friend of mine uh, told me, because I hadn't seen... No, I had seen... Uh, in the head of John Malkovich, John Malkovich uh, movie. Yeah, um, I think it's called like. And I was being John I was, Malkovich. Yeah, being John Malkovich. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the name it in English. Uh, yeah, so that movie, and uh, I, I was not a big fan of it. I didn't really. I, I thought it was just quirky to be quirky, and it didn't really have made make any sense. So I, mm. I was talking about that, and then she told me, "Well, you should really see adaptation. That's that's one of Kaufman's best best movies." Uh, and this is, yeah, way back. So, uh, I don't... yeah, it should be like two thousand six, seven, eight, sometime. I guess. It's yeah. From school. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that Eternal Sunshine was out by then. No, it was. It was. It was. Yeah. Because I think that's the that's the better movie. Anyway, uh, so so I saw it back then, and I was again very confused. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's better than being John Malkovich. Uh, I thought that back then, but I, uh, but I, I wasn't really sure. It, it left an impression, but I, I couldn't decipher what that impression was. Put it, put it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? That sounds like a Charlie Kaufman experience. Yeah. Um. um so yeah. So I, I was going into this movie with uh, hopes of. Uh, first of all, I remember it. I remember it uh, positively. So I was, eh, it's gonna be pretty good, and maybe this time I'll get it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. And you, uh, you went in, and uh, what did you think of it? Your I apprehension. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. This might mm-hmm. be my favorite. Um, oh no, I, I do. I think it. No, I know it's my favorite uh, Charlie Kaufman script. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if which ones he directed or not that I've seen. Mm. So I'll just say his script, like his his oh. movie, so to speak. Um, because it's. Like for all its weird quirks and like non-linear storytelling, it's actually pretty easy to follow. Um, because it's yeah. not it, there's, there's not these like super weird concepts. I mean, it's just a guy writing a screenplay, 
Um, and he's struggling with writer's block while his sort of like less uh, pretentious brother, uh, twin brother, is uh, is is just uh, like f- finishing a script in weeks and getting it sold and like being successful and uh, and then intercutting you know the parts of the script that ends up in the script actually being filmed. Yeah, I mean it's not the plot. Isn't really complicated. No, uh, no, yeah, but, exactly. But the concept is complicated. The concept is a little complicated because we we are like four or five levels deep in this movie. Because there, so the movie for people who haven't watched it is about um, well, it's about all of this. But from the beginning, it's about a woman who wrote an article about a, ca- a court case about someone stealing uh, endangered orchids mm. from wetlands. Yeah. Uh, she then got uh, asked to write a book about this uh, person. Yeah, expanding uh, the the article into a book. Yeah. yeah. So she she does that, and then that book is sold to sold to make a movie, and yeah. Charlie Kaufman is hired to write that movie, and we are watching the movie that he is writing in. Yeah. The movie like, that happened uh, for real, but it's also yeah. the plot of this movie. Yeah. So, so, and then we are intercutting between all these layers. Well, obviously, except the last one because that's the actual. Yeah, movie. that's the actual. <laughs> movie. So, so uh, there's, re- there's really only two layers. There is the the fictional Charlie Kaufman writing the script for this movie, and then we see some of the scenes that he's writing, mm-hmm. um, being being shown to us with uh, you know actors that also though play the real characters later in the movie because they kind of meld fiction and reality towards the end, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny. But And then there's this thing uh, that Charlie Kaufman has issues with when he's writing the movie is that she, the, the book that she wrote, that one intercuts with uh, sort of small stories and small tidbits. Yeah, she goes on we, tangents. Yeah, tangents. She, that's, yeah. Uh, so that's also sort of a level of... of going on these tangents and yeah so the concept is hard to explain but when you actually watch it it's pretty straightforward yeah it makes it makes sense for the most part and i think the 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 funniest the funniest thing is that because he couldn't figure out um that's the whole thing he he can't figure out how to turn this into a like regular three act movie structure because the book isn't like it's a non-fiction book it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a dissertation on this person, the orchid thief. Mm. It's not really you know it doesn't have a beginning, middle, and an end. It's a, a character piece, which I guess you could kind of turn it into a movie, but you still need certain things in a movie, which you know they get to later. <laughs> um, that just isn't in the book. And also, what I read about the book, I didn't have time to read the book, obviously, but mm. um, is that that was like the main criticism it got that it's a great article, but as a book. Yeah, it, there it doesn't really enough. work. There isn't yeah, enough. There isn't enough. To, yeah. and, and so she goes on even longer tangents in the book to kind of fill it out. And yeah, there is no real ending. And that's why Charlie Kaufman is struggling so to try and like make this into a coherent movie. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? <laughs> and yeah. that is what we're seeing. Um, but then, you know, he keeps having pressure from the, from the studio trying to finish it. I think at the first point there's been like 13 weeks and he hasn't really shown them a, a single page because he he's barely written, written anything. Us. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I and I love that then he, in the movie, in the fiction of this story, he has written himself a twin brother, Donald Kaufman, which doesn't exist in real life, in yeah. real, real life. Um, and he sort of, he sort of, like, pushes all these... Cause Let's face it, he's kind of a pretentious writer. He's kind of a pretentious oh, yeah. guy. Not in a bad... Pretentious in the right sense of the word, you know. Pretension. Yeah. Um, or pretense. Um, so, uh, when people start giving ideas like, you know, how to, how to fix it, and even some of the ideas that um, um, the writer of the book, I don't remember her name, um, that she thought they were going to put in there, like, oh, they're going to put in car chases and explosions mm. turning into a movie. Those are the kind of ideas that he keep struggling with that he doesn't want to put in the movie. He doesn't want to make it a regular movie. He wants to make it a movie about flowers and orchids. So, all these, but still those ideas start creeping in because he's trying to just make it into a movie. Um, and he, in, instead of like struggling with those ideas himself, he puts those ideas onto this fictional twin brother of his. Because he, he writes a very generic 
uh, like police thriller movie. That's the whole mm. thing that he's doing in the movie. Um, and he's he's not struggling at all. He finishes it very quick. And Charlie thinks it's it's banal. And, and everyone writes this. You, sh- you should do something different. You know, try to you know explore other other themes. And he's like, no, this is what people want. And when he eventually pitches it to to Charlie's agent, he's like, this is the best script I've ever read. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> damn it. So like everything you know, everything that Charlie is trying to get away from in his orchid thief script. Um, uh, is is what really people want to see, and funnily enough, when the when the fiction and reality sort of melds together in the third act, he puts in every one of those things. There is sex. There is drugs. There's a car chase. There are guns. The only thing we don't get is an explosion, but yeah. basically we get all of it. Um, and honestly, like as fun as the movie was up until that point, the third act is really exciting. <laughs> And that's sort of the point, because yeah. they act, they say that just at the beginning of the third act, when he talks about he Kauf, Char, Char, Charlie Kaufman goes to a writing coach because he's, yeah. he's struggling. And writing coach a, a, says, writing, a writing coach that his brother had had been to his seminar before. Oh yeah, and, you know, and the writing that's coach how we got the, the idea last, for them for the script he wrote. The last thing he says to Charlie is, "Well, if you just if you just sell sell the last act, if you just." Sell them on the last act. If the last act is great, no one's gonna care about the the problems of the beginning of the movie, and it's gonna be a big hit. Yeah, and that's sort of what happens. And and you really you just was a good example of that when you're like the last act was really good. I like this movie. Yeah, it is because <laughs> not only because it's more exciting with car chase and shooting and thing, because you actually there is a resolution to the story. Because you have you have a Charlie and Donald who has not really seen Night Eye, or I guess Charlie hasn't seen Night Eye with Donald. Donald seems very nice, if a little, uh, you know, pushy maybe. I don't know, mm. um, a little much. Uh, he re- they really you know since they they go on this uh, this fiction slash reality mission to like spy on the author to see what she's doing now years after writing the book. Um, and they, that's when they see her doing drugs and having sex with the guy from the book, and you know they get shot at with rifles and guns and stuff. They kind of bond over that, and, you know, because all of this is happening, and Charlie's aware that they're basically in the third act of a regular thriller, he, like, realizes the power of that kind of writing, that, you know, that's it's kind of cathartic, and the fact that you have mm. an, an ending to the story is, is very... It's important to a story. Sure, it might not have to be as cliche as this becomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, cliche because they made it cliche. Not the, the movie is not cliche in any way. But you know, using these these cliches, like uh, they, it helps to make a movie. Mm. Um, so I think it's a very, very, very interesting way to kind of both deconstruct, but also like look at the creative process from a from a like outside perspective. Almost, it's very, very interesting. And very entertaining, especially for someone who uh, li- likes the whole creative process of movies, not just watching movies. Yeah, so it is a very interesting movie. Uh, just I can't imagine how to even begin to write a movie like that, like this. Just the the the, the twists and turns throughout the movie, and to make everything sort of uh, work together at the end. That's Insane. Yeah, but, I. No, go on. But I would say, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I, I I like the movie. I like the movie, but it sort of it has this problem, which I I think is a is a personal thing, but it is a, a, a saying that just because you acknowledge the faults doesn't mean the faults disappear. And I think this movie has a lot of faults. But just because Andy or Charlie Kaufman uh, says says in the movie, oh, this is a fault, that doesn't mean the fault disappear. Just because he says in the movie that, oh, it's boring, it doesn't go anywhere, that doesn't mean it isn't boring uh, at times. And again, oh, okay. with the end, where just because they say, ah, oh, sell him on the last act, make an exciting last act, it's going to be a good movie. Just because they say that doesn't make the last act any more cli- or any less cliche and eh. So, I mean, it's a good movie. It's an interesting movie in, in a writing perspective, but watching it, it's at times kind of boring, at times 
I'm I'm getting sort of uh I, a few times I I started watching looking on things on my phone because it's just okay here it goes again on a monologue about him being bad at writing. <laughs> <sighs> okay, cool. Uh, I get it. Move on. Uh, and at the end, it's yeah, it's sure it is exciting, but it also shows very clearly that he is not an action writer. It's not that interesting. Uh, even though it's very exciting comparably to the one and a half hour of nothing we just saw before. Uh, so, well, so, to, yeah. be, to be fair, he didn't direct the action; he just wrote it. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, and I said he's not an act, act. He's not an action writer. That's what I said. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. And and it shows because it's just him ducking behind the wall, and then people talking, and then they drive, and then they go into a swamp. It's just, it's, eh, I don't know. So, so yeah, I do like the movie, but there are a lot of flaws with it. And I think it's more interesting to think about, it's more interesting to talk about than actually watching it. That's a, that's my critique of the movie, I think. All right, but that that's kind of, because I, I think that, because the whole thing like, oh, just because you're acknowledging the cliches doesn't make it right to use cliches. Mm. But I think since he is stating, ex- like... This is it's a, the, the movie is kind of like a video essay, like talking about the problems with screenwriting. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think he kind of have to use the cliches to stack, uh, make the example, um, and he does it in a funny way where you know reality slash fiction turns into a a, a, a typical third third uh, third act uh, like resolution. Mm. So and 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 I I also think that. It could be because you've seen it before that you were expecting it. Maybe you didn't remember it, but I'm just thinking. Because I didn't... I, it took me a while to realize that, wait a minute, they're in the third act of a generic thriller. And I was like, that's, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I didn't realize that until, like, when they started following them out into the swamp after they had spied on her in her office. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, that's what they're doing! Because it happened so organically. And that it was... Then it... It was... Uh, because uh, you're kind of in on the joke, almost. That got mm. exciting in that way as well. well, um, well so I, I, I just wanted to see, like, how far are they going to push this? <laughs> like, oh my god, <laughs> it's an actual car chase. Yeah, I, I don't think I really got. I, I didn't really get it until like after the movie. The end of oh, okay. That 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 they did that thing because again, as you say, it is very massively written to go from uh, a guy who has problem with writing to uh, a shootout in a swamp. Yeah. And you don't really notice the 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 sort of the steps to you got there. Yeah, how it becomes ev- more and more surreal and turns into a movie, basically. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's a small step uh, that is a, a lot of small steps that every step seems yeah this is reasonable until you realize this is absurd. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and and I mean so yeah he's ob- he is a good writer we all know this uh, he's, he's, a, he's a, one of the a masterful writer, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think the, this is this is a lot of, and, and also that's probably a, a part of the metaphor. I guess I say with a sigh <laughs> uh, that it, it's a very self-masturbatory movie, and that's sort of what the character of Sean Kaufman does, does throughout the entire movie. So I guess that's yeah. Also there's something of, to that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, he's literally uh, masturbating. Yeah, um, like but he is—he is very critical of himself, so I don't think it's too much, you know, jerking himself off. Mm. I think that's just, you know, yeah, like I said, a metaphor. But yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but, but it is—I should—I—I I would say that everyone should watch the movie if you have any interest in just the creation of a movie, the writing yeah. or the direction or any of that. It's very interesting in that point, and you really—it really makes you think of things. Um, so yeah. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a. It is definitely a good movie, but I don't think it's in my taste. No, yeah, exactly. That's that's. Uh, I recently talked uh, on my other podcast about that. We we discussed the Northman, mm. um, and my my sister said like, yeah, she she saw all the good aspects of the movie, the, the filmmaking, but it wasn't really her kind of subject matter. So she was like, eh, mm. and that's you know. That's 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 valid, uh, uh, you know, criticism because criticism yeah. is subjective. Um, but let let's talk a little bit. About, well, no, let's talk about Nicolas Cage. 
Okay. Because, yeah, because this is a Nicolas Cage podcast, so we got to watch. Yeah. Um, because I, I, um, I, I, read, I read something about that. We talked about his process, like where he kind mm. of, you know, he gets into the character and, and you know, he, he, um, he, he makes it his own. He creates this, you know, larger than life performance more than acting. Um, but I read that for once in his career, basically, he actually listened to the director and kind of reined himself in a little bit mm. to actually just try to accurately portray uh, Charlie Kaufman. Um, and interestingly, he was nominated for an Oscar for it. So <laughs> uh, I just wanted, like, what did you think of? Did, did you notice any of that, or had you read about that? No, I did not read about it, uh, and I I think that's um, it, you get it because you don't get the Nicolas Cage in this movie. No, like, yeah, really he's very in this movie. He's just a good actor portraying a, a role. Yeah, it's more um, so, of an impersonation than you know performing yeah. or acting. So, yeah. so I would I would say my my thoughts on that trivia is is first of all uh, makes sense uh, <laughs> from from what I've seen yeah. <laughs> in the movie uh, that explains it. Uh, the other one I think it's that's impressive that he he is he allows himself to do that to say okay in this movie I'm actually portraying a real person so I have to not do what I usually do. And just I'm just gonna go for what they want me to do. Yeah, so I, I think that that's that's commendable to to to, to have that uh, state of mind. And, and third of all, he does a great job. He yeah, does a he's great fucking job. great. There's a lot of good uh, uh, performances in this one. Mm. I thought, in particular, Chris Cooper was great as oh, yeah. uh, the orchid thief, whatever his name was, because he was so he played so against. The, the character he usually plays. He's usually very buttoned up, kind of, you know, stoic. quiet and stoic. Yeah, and here he was like this... Cla- he was basically a Florida man. A li- literally a Florida man. <laughs> uh, with mis- missing teeth and, you know, he had all these weird projects and, you know, he, he basically, like, used Indians to, to poach orchids in the swamps. <laughs> it was a wonderful character, which I mean, he was kind of an asshole, but you were... I can see why the writer, the, the author of the original article and book became fascinated with him and did this whole article and book about him it's a weird character that you kind of like get transfixed on did you notice that one of the engines uh is same character from wind talker yeah it's um uh uh, nicholas cage's not not white horse the other one or is it uh, White no, Horse? No, it, it is White Horse. It is White oh, Horse. okay. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, I know that name. All right. <laughs> and and I did, because uh, that's that's interesting, because he, apparently from what I read, we didn't talk about that in Wind Talker episode, but apparently he was not an actor in Wind Talker. No, he was there uh, to, like, uh, help them with the... Uh, the accuracy of... Uh, yeah, of the people. Navajo language, I think it was. Yeah, Navajo. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then he just got roped into being an actor. So it's interesting that he went from that and, oh, maybe I'm an actor now, and then did this the same <laughs> yeah. year. He went from John Woo to Charlie Kaufman in the same year. That's pretty uh, good. That's pretty that's good. That's a big, it's a, it's, uh, a, a good thing to have in your resume. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and Spike Jones. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> But uh, uh, going going back to Nicolas Cage, um, it also I think also maybe one of the like reasons why he chose to maybe try to not experiment and actually follow the director here is was because he is portraying the writer of the material yeah. uh, that he's you know performing. So I, I I think he wanted to, and I know that he, which you know, this is a the thing they say in interviews, but it, it felt genuine in, in when he said it this time. Like, he read the script and he thought it was, like, this was really something special. This is not just a movie he did because, you know, I like making movies. I can mm. experiment and have fun. No, this was something, like, that he really, really, like, thought was, this is going to be something. So maybe he wanted to be more uh, respectful towards the material. And another sign of a, of, a, of, a, of a professional, like, a great professional actor to, like, realize where he has to rein himself in to make the, the material uh, justice. Yeah, and I, I, and he was yeah he was just great in this role. Uh, did you? He must have put on some pounds for this role, right? Right? No, he wore a fake belly. 
Oh, he did. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, that, you, you don't see that at all. No, he might. You know, there's a kind of kind of couple of shirtless scenes. He might have put some weight on, but mm. for the most part, he's wearing like a fake belly full of. Uh, uh, I think it was like lentils to give it that like jiggly oh, thing. Okay. And yeah. because of the thing, he was sweat. He's actually sweating in the movie. Um, that's his real sweat because it was so heavy. Um, <laughs> so I read that the lentils actually started sprouting in the fake belly. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the, the the life of a flower, you know, or the life oh, of a yeah. plant. Very yeah, philosophical. Because I, I was thinking he's been playing like action movie heroes. Yeah, he's, for, like, he's been in good shape for the last like ten ten years, and yeah. now what the hell? But yeah, it was it was, it was a fake belly. So it didn't do uh, a uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale, yeah, no, no, <laughs> he's not stupid. <laughs> um, and and then yeah, I so I I this might be, I mean, for me, it's always gonna be uh, Vampire's Kiss and then Leaving Las Vegas. And I know, well, I guess Pig is up there now. But mm-hmm. this is one of my my favorite uh, performances I've seen him do so far. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of his best performances. Yeah. Uh, again, not not my favorite movie or best movie, but performance-wise, yeah, one of his best. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's just you sort of forgot it was Nicolas Cage throughout this performance. Yeah, he really became. I've only I've only seen like a few clips and interviews with Charlie Kaufman and. He definitely doesn't do the voice, um, but I mean the mannerisms are there definitely. Mm. So he I mean, he makes it his own character, but it's also a very good like version of Charlie Kaufman. So uh, yeah, I I I did like go, going back to more like the movie in general. I like I like everything about this movie. I have, I really don't have anything to complain about. Maybe yeah, it meanders a little bit in the in the middle, but I don't think the movie is long enough to get boring, because there's like a mo- there's like an hour of, of of him struggling to write and hi- him <laughs> constantly procrastinating and and uh, <laughs> having this thing where every woman he meets he has a, a like sexual fantasy about, which no. was <laughs> very funny. Um. Because it felt like, you know, it really felt like he was kind of, because um, that's like like what you do in your teenage years. Not when you're like yeah. pushing 40, but he's still in that because he's so neurotic. Like he can't let go of that like feeling. Um, so I thought that was, and just the fact that Charlie Kaufman, um, which I think this, like I said, I haven't seen all of his movies, but this feels like this the most personal of his scripts because he's literally writing about himself. Um, yeah, and sure, he's be. he's making some stuff up, but it's it's clearly like him dealing with his demons. Yeah, so to be def- that honest is very 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 interesting and entertaining. Yeah, it definitely is. His, like he's writing, and he sort of says that at the end of the movie too. I think uh, that he's writing the version of himself that he has in his head, mm-hmm. which he thinks he is, even though he maybe factually knows it's not true. That he isn't like this. He, does, he isn't balding for once, for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like things like he he is. Yeah, he's neurotic and he thinks these things, and he's probably not going around sweating profusely everywhere. Yeah, um, and he's like, from what I've seen at least in later clips, like he's not fat at all. He's kind of gangly, nah. really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, so it's it's a great like um, portrait of of a like. Severely neurotic person, <laughs> um, so I think it's it's very, uh, very I don't want to say brave, but it's very good uh, that he writes it so honestly. Like this is this is what I see. Do you understand the problems I have? <laughs> There's something wrong with me. <laughs> um, and I th- I thought that was that was uh, yeah. Going back to like like I said, I I love that aspect of the movie. It's just like I loved pretty much every aspect of the movie, but I still, just to kind of skip ahead to the end here, <laughs> I still wouldn't give it, like, a, a perfect score. Um, and I'm, I I think that might be because of the subject matter. Because, the, 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 like I said, I loved everything about it, but the only thing it wasn't was, like, emotionally um, engrossing. I was never, like, it was, I was never feeling, like, other than laughing, because it's funny, I didn't... F- get any like huge swells of emotion like anger or sadness or, or you know joy or anything so I guess that's what's holding it back from being like 
a perfect movie, but on a technical level and on an entertainment level, it's it's one of the be- better movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I I think that's my biggest gripe with the movie is that it's it is not emotionally involving and it never tries to be, except maybe at the very end with Donald, yeah. maybe. But and and, and that sort of again. Um, it's again. It's this is a movie for him to exercise his demons, and what 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 am I doing here? Can you, <laughs> yeah, this, I have no part in this. I have no. Why are you showing me this? That's sort of. <laughs> that's yeah. Um, that that's true, and I mean, that that uh, in a way. That's sort of what I meant before, where it's self-masturbatory. That he is, he just, he just needs to get this out, and it's just okay, good for you. But I, I mean, I have nothing to gain from this more than maybe it's it, again, it's interesting from a, a, a screenwriting perspective, just to make all these connections and how to put yourself in a script and and make it believable and and all of these things. But other than that, it's just. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, a weird a, one. Yeah, as a movie, it does falter a little bit. But I just, I just thought of it right now because because of what you're saying, because the movie starts with him saying he doesn't want to write uh, a a regular, you know, classic kind of movie. Yeah. Um, and that's why he's struggling so because he just he just won't conform to the, the three act structure, so to speak, and. Instead, the movie becomes this, yeah, this this character portrait that doesn't that doesn't really go anywhere um, until the third act when he does put in those things. So, in a way, because that was that was the struggles he had in real life. That's why he chose to write a movie about writing a movie instead of writing the movie he was supposed to write. Mm. Um, even though he managed to squeeze in like adaptations, adapt or scenes that are adapted straight from the book. Mm. So he managed to squeeze in um, the the weird kind of exploratory structure he wanted to put in there, to, that he wanted to write, he also managed to adapt at least some of the book, and he made the more uh, straightforward, classic, structured uh, movie that the producers and the his managers wanted. And he got it all in a movie that, you know, even even if you don't love it, works. Like, everything about it works. So yeah, what it might not be the most like the most entertaining movie ever, and it kind of feels a little like what is going on here. He still managed to do something pretty unique. Oh yeah, def- definitely. So, but it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was fun. I laughed a lot. Oh well. Um, I know, but I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like it's not. Yeah, it's not entertaining for like for a general audience. They would hate yeah. this movie. This is this is sort of like one of those. This movie is sort of one of those uh, math problems that that people are trying to figure out for for generations and decades. And then someone, f- you know, these weird math uh, yeah, problems. Sure, sure, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone figures out, and you're like, "Cool." Yeah. Oh, okay. But, but <laughs> now what? But yeah. If, Everything you're saying is that yeah, he did it. Okay. No, yeah, but the thing is, if you're the one who figures it out, and I mean, everyone can figure it out because it's a movie, so you figure it out when you're watching it. It's not like, you know, one person figured the movie out and then they told everybody. So I th- I think that's part of the no I mean I mean, the movie, I mean, you I mean get what, to what figure you, it out as you're watching it. No, I mean what you described that he figured out to put all of these specific oh, things okay. in one script that he he figured out to make everyone sort of satisfied, even though nobody should have been. Nobody was one uh, hundred. That, that's what I mean with the math problem. Like the script oh, okay. is the math problem that he he figured out a way to put in a three story structure without the three story structure. With uh, with action, but not with action, and also a faithful adaptation of the book. He figured yeah. all to, how to put all of that together in this math problem thing, but it, maybe it should just stay there. <laughs> maybe maybe we shouldn't have made a movie about it. Maybe we just put it in a museum and say, "Yeah, he figured it out in the script. Look, cool." 
cool, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that that's also that's also part of the like meta quality of it because uh, this was a, a it was a writer for hire job, so he had to turn something in, and this is what he had, yeah. and they thought it was interesting enough to actually turn it into a movie instead of just like firing him and giving it to another writer. Yeah, there are also these things that he sort of is is sort of he has a sort of um, despises himself and the audience in a way because he keeps just saying things like again the writing coach guy says whatever you do don't put uh voiceovers in your movie <laughs> yeah like, the this movie is just voiceovers yeah and it's just and just and he just says these things that oh you shouldn't do this or you should do that and then it makes the exact opposite and and just say fuck it i i did it what you gonna yeah. do about it yeah, like like he uh, he's like that that writing coach is obviously like he has he has good ideas. That's why he you know gets the help in the end. Mm. Um, but he, I think it's also Charlie Kaufman kind of criticizing people who think they can teach you about writing because sure you can you can teach someone the fundamentals, but to become a great writer you kind of have to like figure it out yourself. Um, and that's why he doesn't want to go see him even in the beginning. He thinks that his brother sh- sh- shouldn't like give this man money to teach you how to write. It's not going to work. Um, so, but, but once again, I think it's him kind of like realizing that there, there are, there are conventional methods that actually do work. Um, but, but also, uh, he, and, and sometimes you need to use them. Like he's making a movie about himself, a man who doesn't really speak much other than, you know, in short, like, uh, nervous sentences to other people. Like he has a lot of inner monologues. So what do you do? Well, you gotta have voiceover. It's, it's a, it's 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 ex- like I would say this is like an experimental movie. Oh yeah. Even though that, that sounds even more pretentious. But like, <laughs> like this and I, I, I walk with me here. This and Tetsuo is kind of like in the same genre. They're both experimental. Yeah, I'll agree. I, I yeah. agree definitely. So he doesn't Te- have Tetsu, to be like Tetsu is more is more in the visual and this oh, of is course, more in of the course, writing. But they're both but, experimental. But, yeah. Yeah. Um I just talking about the writing coach, uh because that, that is a real guy. That writing coach. Oh he is. Uh and played by Brian Cox. And yeah. the actual writing coach, he he was the one who decided Brian Cox. Oh, okay. Who do you want to play you? Oh, Brian Cox would do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so that that's cool. That's that's cool. Right. Um, Robert McKee, as a, right, sc- a right. script guru. Yeah, because he's he like you said he's obviously like saying like these script gurus they're hacks basically. Mm. Like if you can't do, you teach. That's a classic, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and he and so he is like he's criticizing a lot of people in this, um, but they seem to go along with it because I know. I watched an interview. I sent you the link before, mm. where the yeah. author of the book, what's her name, Susan Orlean, right? Orlean, yeah, yeah. Orlean, or, or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Susan. Um, and and when she first got, um, no, she didn't. She got a rough. She got to watch a rough cut of the movie. Um, no, she got to read the script right at first. Yeah, she read the yeah, script yeah. and said, "No, you you can't film this. It makes me look horrible." Yeah. Because in the end, but in the end, it's not her; it's the fictional version of her. Um, so, but 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 she went along with it because because she thought like, well, they, he's got something going on her. I'll, I'll allow him to make me into the the villain mm-hmm. in the end of my own book. Um, yeah, because he also say like, well, I'll make myself look bad too. So. Yeah, obviously, yeah, he's he's a complete like social failure in this movie. <laughs> um. And, and the same thing then with this Robert McKee character. Like, he's obviously, like, you know, dragging him a little. Mm. But at the same time, acknowledging, you know, the legitimate, like, qualities of his uh, teachings. Or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think it's it's very, very adult of both those two to, like, yeah. say, all right, you know, you got you got something there. You can put it in the movie, you know. <laughs> uh, so, just... <laughs> Quick tangent with uh, Rod McKee. Uh, you you want to know what he has written? Yeah. So he's written uh, uh, mostly uh, TV show episodes for the shows Double Dare, Spencer for Hire, 
without walls and Abraham. Never heard of any of those. No. But he has he has consulted in two uh, two mo- I think movies. Yeah. Uh, Barbie and the Nutcracker and Barbie and Rapunzel. Respun- <laughs> yeah. So he's like he's like a he's like a, when when a when a musician needs going to put together like their first album yeah. and they need musicians to studio musicians. Um, he's like one of those guys. He's what do yeah. you call like script doctors? Yeah, he they just... do like uncredited rewrites of stuff because he's just a guy that hangs around. So his job is to like patch up stuff. Yeah. He's not a he's not a great writer by himself, but he can he can fix other people's stuff. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, and then it's then it's perfect that he like his his career never took off, so he's just teaching other people how to start a career. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But apparently, a lot of people really like him. Uh... Uh, I'm sure he's, Peter, I'm sure he's Peter nice. Jackson has said, uh, uh, "The guru of gurus," <laughs> um, and he's uh, helped a lot of Pixar movies, like all Toy Story movies and Finding Nemo. He's been in there. Yeah, that makes total sense. So he's he's been. He's, these are, you know what? These are all movies with great structure. <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been it's been having his fingers in a lot of pies, but yeah. never credited. Yeah, and that makes that makes total sense. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny then the scene because uh, you think when 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 Charlie goes to to watch his um, his talk or whatever it is, um, you think that he's going to because he's basically going there to to like one up him. That's when he asks his question like, "Oh, what yeah. if you're writing a story about this and this and this?" And he's thinking he's gonna stump Robert McKee, mm. but it ends with Robert McKee screaming at him like, "You're a moron! Just write mm-hmm. it this way," <laughs> and that's the way it ends up because it works. And I, I think that is sort of when he said that in that in that rant. Yeah, I felt that to my core, and I really felt that about this movie <laughs> when he says, "Why are you wasting my, two hours of my life <laughs> on this movie?" Because. And at that point, I was just, yeah. I mean, this guy's right. He knows. He knows what he's talking about. Charlie. Char- Charlie Kaufman felt that too. That's why yeah. the last act is a regular action thriller. And again, this is the thing. Just because, <laughs> just because you say in the movie that it's uh, boring and it's wasting my time doesn't mean it's not wasting my time. But I gotta say, well, the whole wasting because I think that the the boring parts or whatever you want the first the first two acts of the movie the first hour of the movie. For me, it works because I I think it's interesting to explore Charlie Kaufman as a character. For me, it was never boring. Um, sure, it's very meandering, but it still says a lot about him as a person and as a screenwriter. So that's why I didn't find it boring. Yeah, I mean, so I think I think it sort of nags me because because he uh, points it out. Points it out. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have cared as much. If he wouldn't have sort of stuck his head out and said, "I know this is bad, but it's on purpose," <laughs> right, that just right. went back into the movie. I mean, that sort of it bugs me. It it, it would be more interesting to to just could to be able to write it off as well. He had a trouble doing this, so he he did with the best he could. But no, he has to okay. make a point and says, uh, "Well, you know, I could do better. I don't wanna." <laughs> Bye. It's. Uh, I don't know. It's a slap in the face, sort of. Um, yeah. No, but uh, yeah. Then I, you know. Now I. Now I. Now I understand your point. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. But but again, it is. Uh. It isn't the waste of time. That's. It was just the, my feelings at at that time. Yeah. 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 Uh, so so <laughs> again, I I reiterate what I said before. If you have any interest in movies, you should see this. Uh, yeah. But if you if you don't have any interest in movies, if you only watch movies for to sort of just put something on Friday night after work, just to turn off your brain and watch a good movie. Don't Listen watch it. This. Don't watch the, this one. This is not it. Yeah. No. no. You you could watch the. Uh, I don't remember that the movie's called now. Uh, the Stephen King movie that everyone likes. Uh, what The Shining? No, the the, the prison movie. Not Green Mile. Oh, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. You can watch that one. That's yeah, perfect for great, Friday night. That's a great night. movie. Yeah, perfect absolutely. for Friday night. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I gotta say, like, though, if you, like, want to get into, uh, you know, get get into watching movies 
professionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't actually know how to say it. Um, but more more analytically, and not not just yeah. as entertainment, but as you know, to to learn about movies and maybe kind of broaden your horizons. I think this is a great conversation starter, um, especially if you have like in this case, like two people who might not completely agree on on you know the movie. It makes for good conversation, um, and especially then to to break down each scene because it's that's literally what the movie is. It's like I said, it's a video essay, a movie essay. Mm. Um, where he's kind of doing that for you, so there's, there's great talking points about it. Yeah, that, that's that's sort of also a, a thing that it's it's good and bad uh, for me, because he sort of doesn't let you think about the movie, because he does that for you, in, in not everything, but a lot of aspects. Yeah, uh, like the the symbolism of things, he just flat out tells you this means this, so you know. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's that's why I mean it's a good like entry point because it, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, it is his most accessible movie. Like as I mentioned, um, the last Charlie Kaufman movie I watched was his last one he made in 2020. I think the, what is it called? I'm I'm thinking about ending things. Mm, right. Um, and that one is so uh, subtle and like it doesn't tell you anything. So I watched it with my mom. No, no offense, but maybe not the greatest person to like talk about movies on this level with. But still, we had a conversation about it because mm. we're trying to figure it out. Because both of us were struggling, like, what is it actually about? We really, we got some of the things, but then it's like, what, 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 what is really going on here? And that was too like obfuscating his his thoughts and ideas about the 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 story and the characters. Where this is, he kind of lays it out for you, and then you can. After the movie, you can continue that conversation and, you know, uh, wax poetic about, you know, the things he mentions in the movie. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's an accessible Charlie Kaufman movie, which we don't get a lot of. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that's also why I, why I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, so um, just a little trivia that I read. There's a lot of trivia of this movie. Yeah. Um, but apparently Jacqueline Phoenix was in the running to play uh, La Roche Chris really? Cooper's yeah, yeah. But still appa- too young yeah but apparently he he came far in the in the process and then he said this is not right for me and left <laughs> so he that's, he put himself out of the running for the movie that's another sign of a good actor who's like yeah. you, you know someone like no I'm gonna lose a bunch of money, but this isn't right for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll step down. It's not right for me or the movie. Yeah. Well, Joaquin Phoenix, hell of an actor. Uh, and uh, also, again, back to the Robert McKee uh, character, he has officially said um, uh, that uh, he's not against the use of voiceover narration, despite <laughs> what Charlie Kaufman says. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it might be that he heightened some of the characters. It makes sense. Yeah, uh, but he, he did he did add and uh, say uh, his point is voiceover narration must add to the story, not describe what is already seen on the screen. Otherwise, yes. there's no reason for it. Uh, otherwise, it becomes yeah. That that's my problem with musicals. Mm. That the songs <laughs> are just like this is what you're supposed to think. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, and, shut up. Yeah, so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah so, so that's, that's his point. And I guess it's easier to say to beginners, don't use it than try to explain the the uh, the shades of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. You'll, you'll figure that out as you go along and you realize mm. where it's actually uh, apt to use um, voiceover. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then just interesting, some interesting tidbits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All the main stars from Con Air is in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought of that. Um, even though uh, John Cusack is like literally in the movie for two seconds, yeah. which I thought was that was also kind of, kind of a fun idea that um, the movie partly takes place during the the making of being John Malkovich. Yeah. Malkovich. So they had to recreate a bunch of sets and bring in John Cusack literally for two seconds just to like show that hey he's the star in John Malkovich. <laughs> uh, which if you want to talk about uh, self masturbatory, mm. Jesus Christ! Like you remember this movie I wrote? Yeah, this is what I did during that movie. Yeah, let's do that again. <laughs> uh, and uh, there are a lot of good actors in this movie like 
almost yeah. every speaking character is a like a famous actor. Yeah, it's insane. I yeah, I I I, I forget her name, but I really like um. Tilda Swinton. The, the, yeah, well, yeah, Tilda Swinton, of course. Yeah. No, but um, uh, she plays the like producer or executive or something. But no, the the waitress that gives him the key lime pie. All oh, right, yeah. What's her um, name? I, She's I love her, but I keep forgetting her name. I remember. I don't think I. Ever She's in Arrested Development. Name. She played Caesar's wife in the new Planet of the Apes movies, <laughs> which no one cared because oh, you know, it's such that. a small role. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I. Again, I don't have. I don't think I ever knew her name. Um, uh, hold on, I gotta look this up. Uh, Judy Greer. Yes, thank you, Judy no. Greer. Yeah, no. she keeps uh, popping up in like small roles in so many yeah. things. Not always great things, but it feels like she has like this love for, especially like sci-fi stuff, because she did Planet of the Apes, uh, small part. She just wanted to be in Planet of the Apes, and she has this super small part in the Jurassic World movie. Unfortunately, a bad movie, but. You know, she was part of Jurassic Park, the franchise. Mm. She keeps doing these little things, and I, I, I really, I really appreciate that. And like her as an actress. And apparently, Doc Jones is in this movie, but I did not see him. Yeah, I re- I saw him in the cast list, but I don't know who he's supposed to be. Is someone Augustus Marjorie? I don't know who the fuck that is. I, he, you know what? He might have been cut out because I know mm. that was a trivia about Stephen Tobolowski. Is uh, he's credited in the in the credits? But he's not in the movie because all his scenes were cut. Oh. Um, and I know that the the author of the book, Susan or- Orleon Orlean, yeah. she was also she had a, a cameo, which would be weird because Meryl Streep is playing her, so I don't know. But still, oh. she was cut as well. So there might be a lot of people who just cut out of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and the last two interesting thing is this is on Roger Ebert's greatest movies list. Yeah, which I, once again I can under I I I see that yeah. because it is like it's truly unique. I mean, they talk about it in the movie that that there hasn't been like any like uh, uh, like evolution of cinema hasn't there hasn't been an evolution of cinema since well, no new genres it, has no been. new genres since it is Pasolini made the mockumentary. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Mockumentary yeah. is the last last new genre. Yeah, so this is. I, I don't know because it didn't it didn't like become this like great classic that everyone talks about, but this is trying to do something new. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I can see why people like like Roger Ebert put it on a list of like movies you have to watch because mm. as a as a as a c- cinephile, mm. um, this is the kind of movies you kind of look for like something new. It doesn't have to be perfect, but at least it's different. You know. Well. Uh, and the last thing is Donald Kaufman, first first fictional character ever to be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, which is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> that Donald Kaufman, as Donald Kaufman, was nominated for an Oscar, even though it was Nicolas Cage playing a fictional character. Yeah. I, You know what? You know what? For as much shit as I give the Academy, good on them for having some humor. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's that's the the, the the interesting trivia I found. Uh, there are a lot more. There's a lot. Uh, yeah, but, I, I read but, some of it. It's a but lot. The, of but it, the, yeah. these are the, the the highlights, I'd say. Um, there's there is one where you realize that uh, Charlie Kaufman could have just kept writing. It's like this is one of those stories that he would like he would just start. It would basically be him journaling, because there's a moment when the script is done and they started shooting the movie, where Susan Orlean uh, she visited the set. You know, because she's involved, so she gets to visit the set. And Nicolas Cage, like, oh look, the real, the real Susan Orlean and the real Charlie Kaufman is here, and like introduced them. Which that when 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 she described that in that interview, that sound that sounded very Nicolas Cage. Like that's <laughs> something he would do. Like, yeah. But anyway, and she says, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed to be here, you know, because of you know the script. And he's like, <laughs> not as embarrassed as I am, and just ran away and didn't talk to her for a year. <laughs> that would that's like a scene. Straight out of the movie. <laughs> but since the script was already finished and they started shooting, he couldn't put that in the script. Otherwise, he would have, I think. <laughs> uh, this is one of... It's kind of like... It, now, whatever. It's kind of like his movie he made after this, I think. The Schenectady, New York. Where he... It's a play a playwriter um, who's like recreating New York City for a play he's writing. 
And oh, he okay. like, you know, like, I, I haven't seen it. I've just read about it because oh. I, I, I feel it's like that's too much for me. Some point maybe when I'm older and more wise. <laughs> but it's basically a screenwriter who he he uh, he keeps adding on bits to to his script, and he, so he has to keep building these sets. So he's mm. basically recreating one to one scale New York in this uh, um, uh, warehouse or whatever. Um, because he doesn't want to... There's obviously something going on where he doesn't want to finish the creative process because if he does, you know, that means that, that it's over. Yeah. And I got the same... And it's written by Charlie Kaufman, which feels kind of personal as well then when you think about how he wrote this movie. Because I think he could just... When he, when he started writing this script, it feels like he could just keep writing it. Because, you know, he'll, he'll just put reality into it. So it doesn't have to end. Um, so... Once again, why I think he then used cl- classic structure, uh, third act structure, to actually put an end to it, so he wouldn't just maniacally keep writing forever. <laughs> once, once again, mm-hmm. very meta, very interesting, but, but also kind of concerning because yeah. the man needs help. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so, have you read any reviews from the time? About the movie. Yes, and it was uh, critically, it was uh, it was uh, it was pretty uh, favorably um, reviewed. It got uh, an eighty-three out of a hundred on Metacritic, um, with uh, so universal acclaim. It's got thirty-six positive ratings, two mixed, and actually two negative. Which hmm. I thought it would be more like uh, you know extremes, like this is the best movie ever and this is the worst crap ever. Yeah. But there's only two negative reviews, hmm. but they are pretty damn negative. Um, let's see here. Here we go. It's from the Dallas Observer, who gave it a 3 out of 10. Which isn't the worst, but it's still pretty damn bad. Uh, <laughs> well, here... Uh, okay, here it was. I didn't actually look it up. The most overrated movie of the year, in parenthesis, <laughs> of all time, by people who should know better. <laughs> he does not like experimentation. Okay. And then the worst one is by... Uh, from the New Republic by a guy named Stanley Kaufman, but it's spelled differently. So, man, still, it's kind of funny. Gave it a two out of ten or twenty out of a hundred. Virtually everything that happens in adaptation is almost juvenile, showing off, daring to make a film that is in search of a script. E- e- yeah, well, yeah. you know, oh, you know what? Well, that, that's perfect because he de- he. This guy, Stanley Kaufman, he perfectly get. That's what the movie is about. He just does not appreciate it. And that's fine. It's not for him. That's cool. All right. Bleh, bleh. I completely disagree on the score. I, I would I would write the exact same review, but I would give it an 8 out of 10. <laughs> uh, yeah, so on, on the, the more uh, current user side... Or, well, it isn't that current, but the user side on IMDb... Yeah. Uh, most reviews is from, from like, between 2002... When it came out, to 2008, most yeah. of it. so so no no real recent. Uh, most eights, uh, no uh, eight nines and tens. Uh, well, absolutely mostly nines and tens actually. Yeah. But then there are a few uh, real low score, uh, which is saying uh, someone gave a two and said I didn't get it. I will have to give it another shot, which is yeah, weird but... to give it a two at that point, but. Well, uh, yeah. I usually if I because that's I lo- I love people who are honest. Like I I'm trying to be better at that. When yeah. I don't get it, I'll just say I didn't get it. But that might be my fault. Yeah, and I yeah. feel it, if if you say in a review, I'm gonna give it another shot. Maybe hang on to the review before you get another shot. Yeah, if or like if you, yeah, if you like give it a middling excited. score or something so you can yeah. you know yeah. Either way. Um, but then and then we have a, some people who just said it's boring. Um, but there was one very angry review, or, or very, very uh, so I'm just going to read not all of it because it's pretty long, but uh, the beginning of it. Yeah. Oi, where to begin? All <laughs> uh, oh, right, the, the, the title of the review is The Screenwriter Has No Clothes. <laughs> oh, uh, uh-huh. okay, clever. Okay, so, yeah. uh, some stray thoughts jumbled in my head. Self-indulgent, not intelligent enough to support the degree to which it is pretentious, tedious, unfunny, solipsistic, and yes, I know that's part of the joke, but it's not funny, just dull. <laughs> Empty-headed, gimmicky, Nicolas Cage, que- five question marks, uh, insidery, lazy in many ways, 
Uh, I think annotation feels like a bad Saturday Night Live sketch stretched to two hours. I understand the inside joke, the ironic commentary on the industry, the satire, the sarcasm, etc., etc. I understand which parts of the film must be fun, must be fancy, which parts may be fancy, etc., etc. But there was just nothing there that I cared about. I think, and and I don't think any statement on the film, film business, or writing being made had any substance to it. The whole thing felt thin and tired. It's not deep enough to be taken seriously, not over the top enough to be considered zany fun, and doesn't have the emotional power to touch our souls. It doesn't even mix these elements. It's like a big cold pile of half-eaten mashed potatoes sitting on a dirty plate. <laughs> and then he just keeps on from there, but that's, uh, okay. that's the beginning. Uh, so. Well, it's interesting, though, that even the negative reviews, uh, they they do state that, like, yeah, we, we get the point of the movie. Mm. So, you know, at, at least Charlie Kaufman succeeded. Like, he got his thoughts across. Now, not everyone's going to like it, but... I would call that a success. It's very interesting because usually when people don't like a movie, it's like, no, it's ju- it's just bad. Like here, even the ones who don't like it have to at least acknowledge that the you know, the, the ideas of the script are there. So know? on it's that, a, it's not a failure. The ending on this review, just the last statement on this review okay. that I started reading, is in terms of awards, best scam. In parentheses. <laughs> I admit to being frustrated by the fact that Mr. Coffin would probably be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he completely gets the movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, he, oh. he gave it a 3 out of 10. <laughs> Just, but I, I understand the frustration of, I hate this movie, and they want me to, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. That's great. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, so that was the reviews. Uh, what will you give this movie? Well, I've, I've said it twice already, and I'm sticking to it. It's an eight out of ten. It is an eight out of ten. Yeah, it's a great, yeah. great movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, like I said, the only reason I'm not giving it any higher is because nines, nines are like saved for me, pe- for, for people, for <laughs> movies that like move me emotionally, and tens mm. are for like the, the, you know, the. The masterpieces. So this is as good as it gets, you know. Yeah. So I'm gonna give the movie, the movie itself, a six. But just because of the concept, it's gonna get a seven. <laughs> All right. So I mean, it's the movie itself is a six, but just the things you can think about and the the thoughts it gets, uh, the, the ideas it has, it it it's a seven. It's a movie that keeps giving after you watch it. Yeah. Exactly. So so. so and because you can have a, a, a fun conversation about it, hmm. you know, yeah. would that raise it to an 8? Or is that part of the 7? <laughs> no, that's the part of the 7. Oh, okay, that's that's a whole score is that we can talk about it and <laughs> it's a, a lot of ideas. All right. Uh, that's interesting. So, uh, so yeah, a, a 7. Um, I probably won't see it again. Um, but it's uh, but I will probably recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I probably won't, like, just put it on, like, when I feel like watching a movie. But I... I would be interested in watching it again to see if there's even more stuff I can suss out that I didn't get this time. Mm. But it might take a while. <laughs> so yeah, that was Adaptation, Nicolas Cage's second movie from 2002. Yes. The first one was Wind Talkers, which we talked about last week. And next yeah. week, it's Matchstick Men. Right. Uh, which I know barely anything about, except like the poster, and it looks kind of boring based on the poster. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> I know. I think it's that movie that has one of those classic rage cage moments in it that I've seen in like compilation mm. videos when he's in a store or something. All right. And I know they're con- he's a con man and like he he his his daughter comes to live with him and that's a problem. That's about mm. it. That's and all it, I know about and the And it's movie. made of one of one of the best uh, old screaming man in the voids, Ridley Scott. <laughs> Oh, oh! I didn't know that. That's hey before he, before he became demented and senile. Yeah, this might be good then. It's all those kids and their phones don't watch my movies. That guy. Uh. The problem with Prometheus was there were too few aliens in it. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, now I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see. Um, yeah. That next week. That's next week. 
so yeah, check out Matchstick Man if you want to follow along in the conversation. Um, quickly, because we're we're still like th- these movies are twenty years old at this point, but and I you know we will be catching up eventually with his newer movies. Are we ever gonna care about not spoiling movies? Or are we just gonna go for it? Uh, well, I mean, so where where what where we are at this? Uh, I would say maybe in season four. This is season two right now. So since season three, I don't think we need to care. Season no. four, maybe we'll take that yeah. then. Uh, and, and I mean, people can leave a comment on YouTube if they have a different opinion. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And just to <laughs> to bring it back. Uh, uh, if you're if you're a paying a paying customer on Patreon.com/slash/DomeCine, and you tell us in like a comment like no you shouldn't do spoilers, hey guess what we're gonna listen to you because you're paying for it. Um, <laughs> but other than that, thank you so much for listening. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, we're available on all the podcast uh, platforms, and uh, we will see you in the next episode where we talk about Matchstick Man. But until then, have a good one. Bye. Bye, everyone. Madness in the Method is part of Please Don't Make a Scene. It is hosted by Tobias Vadeen and Christopher Billian. It is produced and directed by Tobias Vadeen after a concept by Christopher Billian. Executive producer is Annika Vadeen. A huge thank you to all our supporters over on patreon.com slash don't make a scene. Laura Kinney, mom and dad.